We're in a series going through the core beliefs of Christianity, and we have about another month left, and then we'll be going through our Advent series as we enter into Christmas time. And in this series, we've been looking at the core beliefs of Christianity. But there is a way to think about Christianity. There's a way to, to view Christianity that is just, here's the beliefs. Here's what Christians believe. There it is. Or, or there's a way to view Christianity that is, that is simply just rituals and things we, we do together. And it can be, I'm just following a system of beliefs. I'm just following these practices. I'm just following these beliefs. And, and we can know the beliefs. We can know God's character. We can know true things and say, yes, I believe that. And yes, I know that Christianity teaches this. We can know what God does. We, we can know those things and even seek to apply them in our life and remember them and try to follow the example of Jesus. And there's a way that Christianity can exist that is merely principles that we live by. The same way that other sets of beliefs could be that. You could say, I, here's a set of beliefs uh, from my favorite author, and I really want to kind of follow these principles that he lays out or she lays out, or here's these set of business practices or family principles, and I really want to understand those and then live those out. There's a way to treat Christianity like that. But we want more than that, and we need more than that for our life. And God offers more than just knowledge of certain beliefs or knowledge of past ways that God has worked or past events of what God has done. God offers more than that. We want more than that. We need more than that for our lives. Sometimes we express that in, I don't want it just to be in my head, but I want it in my heart. I don't want to just know these things. I want to feel these things. Sometimes we express it in, I want to know God's presence, not just know that he is present, but I want to experience God's presence. Sometimes we articulate it when we talk about wanting to hear God's voice. I really want to hear from God. There's different ways that we kind of talk about that, where we know that we want it to move beyond just a set of beliefs or a set of practices, but actually to engage with God to actually live and relate with God. God wants that for us. He gives that. He offers that. We can have that, and we need that. Today, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about all sorts of different aspects of who God is and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And today, we talk about the Holy Spirit and His work. Before Jesus died. He spent a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit. And when he raised and spoke with his disciples, he spent a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit. So we must know that it's, he is very important for our life. And we need him now, especially in that gap of wanting Christianity not just to be a set of beliefs and rituals and practices, but a way that we actually can experience and hear from and engage with God. So we're going to talk about who is the Holy Spirit and really what is it that he does in our life. So this is the first question, who is the Holy Spirit? Sometimes in an older uh, Bible translation, sometimes they will call him the Holy Ghost, and that's just because they used to use ghost as more of the same way that we use spirit. But today we think of ghost as in boo, Halloween, and that kind of thing, and there is no such thing as the, the Holy ghost, you know, you've got your skeleton decoration for Halloween, and oh, that's the Holy Ghost over there, and that, that's not, we don't do that, so we just call him the Holy Spirit. That is who he is. As I go through this, and I've mentioned this to you before also in our newsletters and things, but I would encourage you, if, if you haven't been, to kind of get a systematic theology book. I recommended a while ago some, some basic level ones, but some of my understanding of this and even the outline for some of this is helped by uh, those resources. So I would encourage you to check those out, to go deeper into all these, because there's a lot that you can learn about. And even though we're going deep in some way, a lot of these would be multiple chapters in a systematic theology book. And so if you're like, oh, I want to know more about that, or I want to know more about that, there's, there's a lot that would encourage you to dig in. But let's talk about who is the Holy Spirit. Many people don't think about the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, there was a book a while ago uh, by an author, and it was called The Forgotten God. And it was about the Holy Spirit. Because a lot of times we don't think about the Holy Spirit. We don't really know. We can know about Jesus who was here on this earth. You may know about God the Father, but the Holy Spirit was kind of like, oh, yeah, he's that fourth cousin, and I know something about him, but I don't know, you know, he sometimes shows up weird to the party and does weird things, like we don't know exactly that much about him. Who is the Holy Spirit? Sometimes people even talk about the Holy Spirit, and they will call him it, like, oh, well, when it comes, or when it, but he's not an it, he's a he, he's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they'll refer to the Holy Spirit as a force or a power, as if it's just, you know, kind of Star Wars, the Holy Spirit is the force, but no, he's... He's a person. He's a member of the Trinity. If you were here when we talked about who God is, we talked about the idea of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. And at the end of Matthew, Jesus says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And you see that he says baptizing in the name, that's singular, but, and I can't give you the whole sermon on the Trinity again, but he give, in the name, that's singular, but then gives the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. And they're all on the same level. It's not that one is better than the others, and you might think about the Father and the Son, Jesus, and not think about the Holy Spirit, but they are one, one God that exists in three persons. The Holy Spirit is God. In the book of Acts, and I can't give you the whole story, but these two, uh, a man and his wife, lie to lied to the apostles and says, Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you plan these things in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. So to lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to God. The Holy Spirit is God. That is who the Holy Spirit is. What is the work that he does? We're just trying to understand who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person, third member of the Trinity. And what's the work that he does? This is who he is. And in general, to understand the work, this is, this is a bit simplistic, okay? And it, there's a lot of uh, dotted lines in these things, a lot of overlap. But in general, you could say that the Father plans and the Son creates and the Holy Spirit completes or applies what has been created. So it says the Father speaks creation into existence. And then in other parts of the Bible, we see that it was the Son that actually created things. And then I'll show you a verse in a minute. It says the Holy Spirit hovers over the waters in creation. And that didn't mean he was just on a boat or something. It, it means that he is applying and finishing the work that the Father planned and began, the Son actually did and accomplished, and the Spirit applies it, completes it, finishes it. And that, in general, is to how to understand the distinctions between them. Here's the verse I'm mentioning. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering. And that word for hovering is that He's completing, He's there, He's present, He's applying over the surface of the water. Or you see this same idea, the palace, this is talking about where God's people are, but what will happen? The palace will be deserted, the busy city abandoned, these are the bad things that will happen. The hill and the watchtower will become barren places forever, the joy of wild donkeys in a pasture for flocks until the spirit from on high is poured out on us. So these kind of, there's this emptiness that happens, but then the spirit will be poured out and things will be changed, they will be completed God's work his blessing will come then the desert will become an orchard the orchard will seem like a forest the desert it's this dryness it's there's it's lifeless but the desert will become an orchard and the orchard not just a normal orchard the orchard will be a forest just a forest of peach trees or whatever it is that you want to think of then justice will inhabit the wilderness and righteousness will dwell in the orchard the result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quiet confidence. I love that phrase, forever. Then my people will dwell in a peaceful place in safe and secure dwellings. So the Holy Spirit, when he is poured out, brings God's blessing that brings peace and it brings righteousness and security and from homelessness to joy and from 
injustice to justice and all of these beautiful images from dryness to fruitfulness. Or another passage talks about God's blessing coming through the Holy Spirit in this future age. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you, cause you to follow my statutes, carefully observe my ordinances. There's a time coming when the Holy Spirit comes, and now this work is completed. People want to obey God. They want to follow him. They want to listen to him. They have a, they have a new heart with new life now. And then when we get to the book of Acts, we hear that this Holy Spirit now has been poured out, has been given. This new age of the Holy Spirit coming and blessing and bringing this fruitfulness has come. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, talking about Jesus, because of the work that Jesus has done, he has received this promised Holy Spirit, and now he has poured out, which is that language that we looked at, what you both see and hear. Repent and be baptized, each of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this promised Holy Spirit in the Old Testament has now come. He has been poured out. I missed a, an ellipsis there. But. And Jesus says before he leaves, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor, another name for the Holy Spirit, counselor, comforter, helper, Paraclete is the word in Greek, will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, and I, this might sound weird to our ears, he says, it's better that I leave. We might think, wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus just resurrected and stayed here? Wouldn't that be great? And any questions, you could go talk to him. And if you wanted help, you could call Jesus up, FaceTime with Jesus, whatever it is. Jesus says, it's actually better that I leave. Because if I go away, I can send the Holy Spirit to you. And he is the one that finishes, completes, applies the work that Jesus has done. 2 Corinthians says, Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He has also put his seal on us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a down payment. And that language of down payment, again, is, is very similar to all these ideas, which is to say that when you put a down payment on a house, it's a substantial amount, but it's not the whole amount. The Holy Spirit is the down payment for all that God is going to do in the world and in our lives. He's saying, I've given you a substantial amount. I've poured out my blessing. I've, I've given you the Holy Spirit to complete and do and apply my work. And the fact that Christians have the Holy Spirit is a substantial amount, but it's also a signal that the full payment is coming. Anything that we get to experience with the Holy Spirit now is to say that's, that's the down payment. The future, it'll, it'll all be paid. You'll have all of it, all the blessings. So you get to experience a substantial amount of God's blessing and his work and him pouring out this righteousness and peace and fruitfulness and all of that. You get a substantial amount. And it's proof that the full amount we will get to experience. So who is the Holy Spirit? He's God. And he completes the work that the Father has planned and that the Son has accomplished. He pours out God's blessing. He is the one that we currently experience. And I don't know if you, if you think about this. The Holy Spirit is the one that currently is actually most with us, who we most experience. Jesus was physically here, but he says, I'm giving you the Spirit now when I leave. So the Holy Spirit is the one that we actually most interact with. The Holy Spirit is the one that is most present with us, most active in our lives, completing and applying the work that the Son accomplished, that Jesus accomplished. It's by Him that we live in God's presence, that we get to relate with God. That is who the Holy Spirit is. Now, what does he do? I, I kind of gave you a big picture of what his work is, more like his job description, but what does he therefore actually do in our life? And there's probably different ways to break this up, but I want to give you at least four kind of key buckets to think about of what the Holy Spirit does in our 
life. And really, this is when you, when you think about, man, I, I want to be able to engage with God, not just know about God. I, I want not just to know facts about Christianity, but I want my faith and my Christianity to be a dynamic experience that I'm living in. It's the Holy Spirit who makes that possible, that brings that to us and invites us into that. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is he empowers us. He empowers us. He gives us strength. He gives us life. He gives us power. That is what the Holy Spirit does. And you see this in several different ways. First, it's attributed to the Holy Spirit simply to actually give life. It says even of animals, this is in Job, talking about every living creature. It says if he put his mind to it, speaking of God, and withdrew the spirit and breath he gave, every living thing would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives life and not just physical life, but spiritual life. Whatever is born of the flesh, this is Jesus speaking, is flesh. And whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. He is the one that born, brings new birth. We t- we've talked about regeneration. It's the Spirit that brings physical life and spiritual life. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. So the Holy Spirit gives life. That's the ultimate power, right? To be able to give life. The Holy Spirit gives life. And he gives power to serve. He gives power to serve in the ways that God has called us to. In the Old Testament, you would see this many different times. It talks about Joshua. That was Moses' successor, son of Nun. You didn't think nuns had sons, but this one did. Josh, sorry, it's a lame Bible joke, but all right, it's okay. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So he is filled with the Spirit, and now he has wisdom to lead God's people. Or you see uh, with Gideon, the Spirit of the Lord enveloped Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, and the Abyssalites rallied behind him. So God fills certain leaders, and you see them able to lead in the way that God has called them to, with wisdom, with strength for battle, with power. And, I, and I'm just giving you a handful of examples. There's, there's many. This one's great also. It says, the look, the Lord has appointed by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribes of Judah. He has filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in every kind of craft to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting, and to carve wood for work in every kind of artistic craft. So God has filled him with his spirit to help be a part of designing the tabernacle, to be a part of building artistically. So there's wisdom, there's strength in battle, there's power even artistically with wisdom in this way. We looked at this book uh, last year and says, this is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. They are rebuilding God's temple, and he says, my spirit is with you, empowering you, present with you, so you don't have to be afraid of these enemies that want to come against you, because my spirit is with you, so you have power. And then, come to the New Testament, talks about Jesus, says Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. It's often said of Jesus that the way that he did what he did, yes, he was God, but the way that he also did what he did, it is that God was indwelling him. He came in the power of the Spirit. And then it says in Acts, Jesus speaking to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you see all over this theme of power and the Spirit coming upon you to empower you for God's service to do what God has called you to do. And I think this is the last one. It says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. This is just different Christians that are gathering together and they're praying. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God boldly. So they are filled with the Spirit and then that gives them this boldness and that power to share more about who God is, about who Jesus is. So, the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is he gives power. He gives the most fundamental power, which is to give life, but also this power to serve. 
And I don't know if you feel the difficulty of serving. That might be serving in the church. Some of you are leaders. It may be serving uh, other people as a part of your Christian calling that you are serving people. It may be that you feel the difficulty of having boldness to talk about Jesus. It may feel that it is difficult to serve, to lead. It's hard. It's hard to have wisdom, hard to know what to do. Even for parents, you are called to serve your children. It feels hard. To know, how do I teach them? How do I, how do I help them know who God is? This, these things that God has called me to do feel bigger than me, feel difficult to me. I don't have the wisdom or the ability. I can't do crafts or, you know, what Belaziel could do. You know, you're like, I can't do this. It's too much for me. There might even be things that you haven't done because you know you are supposed to. You know God calls you to, but you haven't done them because it feels too intimidating, feels too difficult, feels too challenging for you. Maybe things that you've quit because you felt like, I can't, this is too scary. I don't have the boldness to do this. What will people think of me? What might people say? And these fears that start to come. But what the Bible tells us is the Holy Spirit gives you strength. The Holy Spirit gives you power. He gives you more than what you can do by yourself. I don't know if you have, some of you have children and some of you have nieces and nephews. A lot of times with my nieces and nephews, at other times, especially when they were younger, remember they would grab one of the younger ones and kind of, you know, grab them and grab their hands and then maybe fight my brother or fight one of their older siblings. And I'm kind of grabbing their hands and punching and kicking and, you know, picking them up and jump kicking and using them and showing Hey, they think, whoa, I'm winning this battle. I'm so strong. I can climb on the ceiling, and I, I'm, I've got superpowers. Look, I, I hit this person. He went falling. And, but it's me holding them, empowering them, and they are defeating their enemies, their siblings. But same thing. <clears throat> that is similar to what God tells us. There is difficult things that he calls us to that are bigger than us that we wouldn't be able to do by ourselves. There are difficult things that he calls us into that we cannot do. There's things that you need wisdom for that you're not smart enough for. Things that you need power for and boldness for, but you're afraid. You don't have the strength. The Holy Spirit empowers you, gives you strength that is beyond yours. And he gives, he empowers us also by giving us spiritual gifts. Now, there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same. God works all of them in each person. A manifestation, this is what he says spiritual gifts are, a manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. And he goes on to talk about all the different spiritual gifts and won't spend the time doing that, but says the Holy Spirit empowers you. And it's not just that he empowers you, uh, that he gives you a pep talk. He actually gives you spiritual gifts. And sometimes people think of spiritual gifts as this thing that is uh, a gift. There's different ways to have gifts, okay? So there's a gift that I could give somebody, and it's just for you to enjoy in your room. I don't know, I'll give you a nice pillow. Thank you for that gift, and you go lay down, right? That's one kind of gift. There's another kind of gift, which is what the Holy Spirit does, where he gives us gifts that are meant to be used. He gives us gifts for God's mission. He gives us gifts for the battle. If you were a soldier and had no weapons and someone gave you gifts to go fight, you, that is the kind of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Or he gives you a tool belt, and those tools are intended to be used to help others, serve others. He gives us gifts for the building up of the church. He gives us gifts because that's another way of empowering us for the things that God calls us to do. They're not just a private experience. Now, this is my gift, and I just kind of enjoy this. It is God gives you these gifts for the building up of his church. He gives you these gifts for his work in the world. So the Holy Spirit empowers 
you ever feel that things are difficult, they are. If you ever feel like things are beyond you, they are. But here's the question. Are you just trying to do the things that God asks you to do? Are you just trying to have the wisdom? Are you just trying to serve? Or are you asking, God, I need your power. Holy Spirit, give me power. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. Give me ability. Increase my gifting so that I may serve. You call me into these things. Give me boldness. Are you just trying to do the things that God leads you and asks you and calls us to do? Are you just trying or are you asking? He has power and he wants to give it to you. Oftentimes, part of the reason we might feel a disconnect or might feel that Christianity is just beliefs, but we're kind of on our own, just trying to adhere to the belief system, is we don't actually engage and interact. He says, I give power. He's ready to help. He wants to. Are you asking him? You can. You can engage with him. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does is that he sanctifies. And we spent last week talking about sanctification, so I can't cover everything. But as you think about sanctification, as you think about growing in godliness, the gradual growing in who God calls us to be, as you think about that, and even if you weren't here last week, but as you think about the gradual growth that God wants for us to experience, it can feel overwhelming. Man, there's a lot of areas in my life that need growth, that need change. It can feel sometimes like, man, I don't know if anything will happen. I don't know if I will be able to grow. I don't know if I will be able to make the effort that God calls me to. I don't know if I will be able to change. And that is true. You will not be able to on your own. But it is the Holy Spirit who sanctifies. That is His name. He is the Holy Spirit, and He sanctifies us. We talked about sanctification being this partnership with us and God, God's work empowering, enabling us. And I didn't spend all the time on this is the Holy Spirit that does that specifically, because we were going to talk about that this week. But it is the initial sanctification, this initial act of sanctification that is done by the Spirit. Some of you used to be like this. He lists out all these different sins. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you have made a change from death to life, from a way you used to be to a way you are now, it was the Holy Spirit that did that. We looked at this verse also last week. If you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live by the Spirit. The deeds of the body are put to death. You will live. This is this initial moment and then ongoingly and even part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So Jesus says part of what the Holy Spirit does ongoingly is that he convicts you. He, 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 he brings the conviction. You think about a, a courtroom. Someone is a convict meaning they are found guilty. The Holy Spirit does that. Sometimes in our culture, we think, oh, guilt is bad and shame is bad. It's not. Those people that tell you that are liars. That's wrong. Guilt and shame are good. You might go, what? You can't say that. Yes, the Holy Spirit's job is to give you guilt and convict you and say what you're doing is wrong and for you to then turn to Jesus and receive forgiveness and realize, ah, oh, my guilt, my shame has been paid for and I don't have to live in that anymore. So I'm not saying you're supposed to walk in that. I'm not saying you're supposed to live in that. But part of what the Holy Spirit does is show you this is wrong. And you should have a healthy sense of guilt and shame for the wrong that we do. And then to turn and realize Jesus totally forgives and cleanses all of that. You don't have to live in it. Okay? So that's part of what kind of the secular world is trying to get at is, oh, you shouldn't live in that experience. Well, that's true, but there's only one way not to live in that experience. And it's through Jesus. And if you deny that there's anything wrong, then you actually miss coming to the cross and receiving the forgiveness and the cleansing of the shame and the guilt. Okay, so part of what the Holy Spirit does is say, you're guilty. This is shameful. He convicts. And you go, oh, I, 
I don't like that. I need to turn to Jesus. If, you're, if, if you feel like, what? I can't believe that, then I'm happy to talk with you more, okay? Because I can't give a whole sermon on shame and guilt, but the Holy Spirit, that's part of what he does. He sanctifies. And his sanctifying work, part of it is to convict us. Also, we know this may be one of, one of uh, the more famous passages about the Holy Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The law is not against such things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Meaning the Spirit is leading us, keeping in step with Him, and He's producing fruit in us. And His fruit is awesome. This is good fruit. So some of you, uh, like us, do gardening. Maybe with flowers or vegetables or fruits or different things. And you think about, I don't know what you think, but when I look at our garden, we've had different people that know what they're doing more than we do come in and look at certain things go, hey, you could do this and you could do this. And, and the fruit of that is usually better than what we can produce by ourselves. But if you could have the best person, I don't, we've watched uh, different shows on gardening and people that come into these totally barren wastelands and they hire these experts and consultants and do regenerative farming and they bring dead soil to life and all these different, there's amazing things that you could look at. This is totally empty. Nothing could happen here. But when you get the right experts, the fruit of their work produces amazing things. My family and I, uh, last year, I think it was, went to this place in California, totally dead farm. They brought in all, there's a documentary about it on Disney and, and they brought, it was amazing. What they, what they were able to do and to eat the produce there is, oh, tastes like heaven. Like, this is amazing. Now, what happens when the expert gardener, the spirit, comes into your life? What can he do to the soil in your life? What can he do to the barrenness in your life? What can he do to the areas that are dead? The flesh with its passions and desires and the the wrong, the, the deadness and the dryness and the unfruitfulness that sits barren and not producing. It's useless. What can he do, the master gardener, when he shows up into your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your church, in your community? What can he do? Well, the fruit of the Spirit, he creates love where there was apathy. He creates joy where there was dryness and complaining. He creates peace where there was turmoil. He creates patience where there's fighting and gracelessness. He creates kindness where there's cutting words and rudeness. He creates goodness where there's selfishness. and He creates faithfulness where there's a lack of endurance. and He creates gentleness where there's harshness and aggression. Creates self control where there's a lack of discipline, a lack of resisting temptation. He helps us to have amazing fruit. He's the master gardener. That's why, that's why I love that analogy of the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't just say the results of the Spirit, but it's trying to help us think. He's, he's the master gardener that comes in and creates what we looked at in Isaiah an, a forest, an orchard, that, an orchard that becomes a forest. He does that. In our lives. This is sanctification. This initial work, the convicting, this bringing about fruit. He is completing what Jesus gave to you. Jesus saved you. The Holy Spirit is completing it. Jesus plants this seed of the gospel within our life. And the Holy Spirit cultivates it. He sanctifies. So I don't know if, if you were here last week or Maybe just even if you weren't, as you think about your life, as you think about different areas of your life, what are the areas where you want to grow, want to see change? It's not just willpower that will make that happen. It is coming to the Holy Spirit and saying, would you change this area? I want to offer this over to you and ask you to bring about fruit here. It can be, maybe, I, I, don't, I don't think that we felt like this, maybe because of desperation, 
But it can be embarrassing to bring someone into your life and say, hey, my garden sucks. Could you fix this? And so sometimes in our pride, we don't ask for help from others, but even from God. And yet, it's only in the humility of saying, Holy Spirit, this is dry. This isn't producing the fruit that it should. This isn't, this isn't have the patience and love and joy that I, I know that you could create. Are you coming to him and saying, change this? I confess this sin. I, I bring it to you. I want you to sanctify me. He changes us. He changes us. And then, third, the Holy Spirit communicates with us. So he empowers us, he sanctifies us, and he communicates. There's several different aspects of this. I don't know if you've felt like, I know I have many times in my life, and I talk to many people that feel like this, I want God to speak to me. I want to hear God's voice. Where would you want to hear God's voice in your life? Where do you want to hear God speak? We don't want just to know that God used to speak, but we want to hear God speak now to us. We don't just want to believe facts, but actually hear God speak to us. The Holy Spirit speaks. The first, the primary, the most fundamental way that he speaks is through the Bible. Second Peter tells us, and we looked at this when we looked at the doctrine of the Word of God, above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture, really looking at all the Old Testament, comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. So everything that you have in the scripture, none of it just came from man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's more that I would show you, could show you on this. But what we are told is that the Holy Spirit spoke this. If you want to hear from the Holy Spirit, it's, he says, I wrote a book. If you want to hear from him, it is stupid to say, I want to hear from you. Holy Spirit, speak to me. And he is saying, I did speak to you. The Holy Spirit speaks to us in his word. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is the New Testament. He tells the apostles, he will guide you into all truth. That is how they wrote the New Testament. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will declare to you what is to come. That's how we can trust the New Testament, coming from the Holy Spirit. That is why we also say, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is how the Spirit speaks to us. Most primary, most fundamental way that he speaks to us. Now, we may not Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. Even if there's places that you don't understand the Bible, you can say this Holy Spirit wrote the book, he spoke it, and he will help you understand it. So we can say, I want want to understand, help me. Just like you can to a friend, if they say something to you and you go, I don't understand. Can Can you repeat that? You say it a different way? The Holy Spirit says, I've spoken, and I will help you understand what I've spoken. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through his word, through the Bible. Nothing apart from the Bible should be believed if it's not in line with the Bible. Someone that says, the Holy Spirit told me this, and it is contradictory to what the Bible says, they are wrong. They may be lying, or they may be deceived. Holy Spirit wrote a book. There's, an, there's a man that is quoted often around here, pastor, author, John Piper. He wrote an article in response to an article that was written called The Morning I Heard the Voice of God. And this man, I think the, the article may have originally appeared on Christianity Today or something like that, and then Piper responded to it. But this man wrote an article talking about this morning I heard the voice of God, that he was able to hear God's voice, and it was so powerful and so amazing and so different and unique from anything that he'd ever experienced. And Piper responded criticizing that. 
saying, let me tell you about the morning I heard the voice of God. Talking about how he opened the Bible and listened because you never have to wait for some esoteric experience to hear the voice of God. The Holy Spirit speaks through his word. You can always, every morning, hear the voice of God. It's not for the privileged few. It's not for the mountaintops. It's not for the monasteries. It's not for the... The Holy Spirit speaks in his word. And every morning you can hear the voice of God. He speaks to us. We can interact with him. Say, thank you for this. Wow, this is so awesome that you would show this to me. You're good. Oh, this is true. I'm, I'm, I'm sinning in this way. Thank you for convicting me. Forgive me. Thank you that this is who you are. We interact with him. He speaks to us in his word and we respond back in prayer. It should be an interactive experience as you read the Bible. Not just reading a book. So he speaks through his word. And he also speaks leading us. Sometimes you may feel that you need help in making decisions. You may feel that you need wisdom. Sometimes people say, I want to know God's will. I don't know if there's areas in your life right now where you feel like, man, I want to, what, is, what does God want me to do? What should I do about this situation, this job, this person? He leads us. He communicates to us, speaking, leading our path. Now, the first primary way he does that, again, is through the word. But he can also do it in dramatic ways. You see this a lot of times in the book of Acts, where it will say the Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Okay, that's the right answer when that happens. Like, okay, I will do that. Now, we don't know exactly how, if that was an audible voice or something, but it must have been something different than just a, you know, I kind of had a feeling. Holy Spirit told him, go, join that chariot. Or in other places, you'll see things like this. While Peter was thinking about the vision, a vision that God had gave him, so this is doubled up just to make the point. First, God gives him a vision, and then the Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. That's very specific, right? And it's part of how you know, oh, so you're giving me, this doesn't contradict anything in the Bible. It wasn't, there's three men downstairs, go kill them. It wasn't that, right? It wasn't, there's three men downstairs, go lie to them. It's not, sometimes people will say, God spoke to me, told me this, but it goes against what his word says, so we automatically know that wasn't God. There are other spirits besides the Holy Spirit. But when the Spirit speaks to us, and it isn't, contradictory to what God's word says, and it's specific like this, we can think, okay, he does intervene and speak in such kinds of ways. I will tell you this, and I don't have time to go through all this. Sorry, I keep saying that, but you know. <clears throat> there is, and I'm happy to talk to anyone about this afterwards, so if an example pops up into your head, I'm happy to show you that it's not true. But there is no place in the New Testament, there is no place in the New Testament where somebody is trying to make a decision and they say, Holy Spirit, help us know what to do. Do I pick this job or this job? That kind of thing that we often do. It doesn't exist. So when the Holy Spirit, here's how the Holy Spirit works. He tells us what to do in the Bible. We have God's word. He tells us what to do. Okay, so we already know what to do. And then, as we're doing that, if there's something else he wants us to do, he says, there's three men, go over there, go to that church. He will intervene and tell us what to do. And there's other times that it will say people were seeking to obey what God had told them to do, and the Holy Spirit intervenes and says, no, do not go there. Paul says, we were intending to go to this city to do God's mission, because that is what God had told them to do. We're intending to do God's mission, and the Holy Spirit shows up and says, do not go into that city. Okay, I guess we won't do that. But what we are to do is do what God has told us to do in his word. And sometimes it is the exception, but sometimes the Holy Spirit intervenes and says, no, do not do that. But even in the places, and I, I'm, I'm tempted to give you a whole thing on this, but even in the places in the Bible where we're told to ask for wisdom, because sometimes, well, aren't we supposed to ask for wisdom? Yes, we're supposed to ask for wisdom. But asking for wisdom doesn't mean asking for God to give you the secret choice of which way we're supposed to go. Asking for wisdom 
mainly people will quote the book of James. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God for wisdom. Well, when you read the book of James and it talks about wisdom, it's more about our character. The wisdom from a God is, first of all, peaceable, gentle. It's more about the fruit of the Spirit. So you're actually asking God, God, make me humble as I choose what I'm going to do. God, make me loving and to choose a loving choice here. We're not asking God to just reveal to us the secret way that we're supposed to go. We're not asking God for a sign and which way do I go? We're just saying, God, make me the kind of person that loves you, loves other people. Form my character so that my will is in line with the things that you've revealed. I have to just pause it there and say I'm done on that, okay? But the Holy Spirit leads us. He can intervene dramatically, but most of the time it's us obeying his word or when it uses this kind of language, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. I'm going to skip this middle part. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Most of the time, when the Bible talks about the Spirit speaking and leading us, it's the Bible, and then it's language like this. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit, which is about our character against the desires and the passions of the flesh. It's saying the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to us in our lives, saying, don't be selfish. Serve. Love. Be patient. Be gentle. He's constantly leading us in the fruit that he wants to create. Be kind with this person. And we, if you want to think about it like this, are kind of like a dog on a leash. And you've seen dogs on leashes that pull against their owners, but that's not, you're supposed to walk with the Spirit. You're supposed to go where he's leading you and keep in step with him. He's going in the direction that you're supposed to go. And he's, you're supposed to stay in step with him, not tug away, not, and he will speak to you. And it's usually not, go downstairs, there's three people there. It usually is, you should serve your wife. You should play with your kids. You should pray for that person. Be bold. Don't be afraid, be honest. It's keeping us in step. Don't complain. Thank God. It's, it's leading us to the cultivation of the fruit that he wants to create in our life. It's about our character and what he is seeking to do. So are you listening to him? Because he is constantly speaking. He is constantly leading. Are you listening? A lot of times you may get an idea and get some thought in your head that is around some of the things I said. You should serve this person. And we just kind of shut it down or just kind of ignore it or, yeah, that might be a good idea, whatever. That is often the Holy Spirit seeking to lead you to obey his word. And he's helping us. I know there's been many times in my life where I have felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and I've just kind of, meh. And then later in the day, man, I should have done that. That would have been a lot better had I served that person or encourage that person. And there's been other times where I've heard the Holy Spirit, hey, you should encourage your wife or you should tell that person you care for them. Or you should, and I've done that and, and seen the fruit of love and joy. And, oh, thank you. Thanks for that idea. The Holy Spirit is speaking. We just need to listen as he leads us to create the fruit he wants. You are not on your own just to figure out your life. He is leading you against the desires of the flesh and towards fruitfulness. Listen, even this week, listen. Ask him, okay, speak. I want to hear you lead me. Help me, to, help me to listen. It's often better to pray, help me to listen, than it is, will you speak? Because he is speaking. He is leading. It's better to say, forgive me for stuffing my ears, stuffing my heart with spiritual cotton balls. Help me to listen, to be humble. And he communicates God's presence and God's work to us. Sometimes, as I said, we may say, I, I, I know things about God, but I don't feel them. You ever felt that? I know God loves me, but I don't feel it. I know God is there. I know God's in control, but I struggle to feel it. This is part of what the Holy Spirit communicates to us. It's his work to help it move 
from our head to our heart, to take truth and make it alive. He often takes what we know and amplifies it to us. So you see things like this. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Increased in numbers. The Holy Spirit's taking truths they know and encouraging their hearts with it. Or, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May God fill you with peace. You can overflow with hope. The Holy Spirit's going to do that. You've already got hope. You know certain things. But the Holy Spirit will make it overflow. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit, that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, that he, he reminds us, you belong to God. That's that, that love, that affection that we want, we want to know. Am I God's kid? Does God love me? Does God care for me? Is he there for me? Is he my father? The Holy Spirit says, yes, you're God's child. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit works in us so that we may cry, Abba, Father, you're my God. John says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak whatever he hears. We looked at this. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify me, Jesus says. It means the Holy Spirit says, look at Jesus. The Holy Spirit, some have said, is more like headlights. He's showing versus you're not supposed to look at the headlights. You're supposed to look at what the headlight shows. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He glorifies Jesus. So you want to worship Jesus? You want to know Jesus more? You want to see more clearly who Jesus is? The Holy Spirit says, look, let me help you see. So he does that work to make what we know more vivid, more clear, more real. He assures us that we belong to God. This is how we know that we remain in him. And he and us, he has given us his spirit. If you ever struggle with, my Christian, do I belong to him? The Holy Spirit reminds us, assures us, helps make that truth real to us. That's part of what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the things that we know and he makes them vivid. He takes the audio and makes it video. He takes the facts and makes them living, virtual reality. He helps us see more clearly. That's why I love the language of testifies. He testifies about me. He testifies that we're God's children. And think about a courtroom setting. And someone that maybe you've seen this live, or maybe you've seen it on Judge Judy, or maybe you've seen it, I don't know, you know, in some movie setting. And there's a witness, and they're testifying. They say, yes. And they, was this the person that, yes, it was that man that killed the person. I was there. I saw it. I know. It was them. And they're their testimony is confirming and validating the truth. And the courtroom goes, oh, it was, you know. Gas. Judge Judy, put him away, you know. And the, because of the testifying that's done, the Holy Spirit does that. I was there when Jesus saved you. I was there. The Father loves you. I was there. You are saved. I was there. You are forgiven. I was there. Your shame is cleansed. I was there. You belong to him. I was there. God is for you. I was there. He testifies. I was there. God is good. I was there. He testifies to us and shows us on the witness stand who God is and what he's done. And we need that to come alive to our hearts. There's a courtroom that sits and watches. And then when the star witness comes, they're moved. <gasps> That's that's moving it from head to heart in the courtroom of our life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he testifies. He communicates God's presence and God's work. So uh, oftentimes we, we know we need some outside voice in our life to help us, to give us wisdom, to speak to us. The Holy Spirit is speaking. Are we listening? And then here's the, the fourth thing that the Holy Spirit does. Oh, there's another testifying. There we go. What, here's, a, here's the fourth thing the Holy Spirit does. He unites us. So much of our life is together. As a church, community group, marriages, families, so much of our life is together. And that can be hard. 
It can be hard. It can be easy to think, man, my, my life would be great if I was by myself. Right? <laughs> so much of our life is together. We need a bonding and a unifying help. And a lot of times people try to get something that will do that. Is it affinity groups and age groups and maybe find people of the same race or you find people of, with same interests and what can kind of bring us together? And there's certain things that unify us. You all like the same sports team or we all like there's certain things that have some kind of power. But the Holy Spirit unifies us by something deeper that we all have the Holy Spirit. We all have God living inside of us. Bible says, it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Sometimes, particularly in the Old Testament, would be on specific leaders, like we looked at Joshua and Gideon, its Holy Spirit would come. But it says in this, in this last days, which is the days that we live in, don't think end times and the end of the world kind of thing, but just when, when the age of the new covenant that we live in, my spirit will be on all people. We are unified because we all have the Holy Spirit, which is why oftentimes in the Bible it will say things like, through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. It is particularly attributed to the Spirit, this unifying work. We all have access to the same, by the same Spirit to God. Or the grace, look how it even kind of separates these. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a blessing. And the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And I won't read this whole part, but Paul is encouraging the Christians to live worthy of the calling and says, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit unites. He creates the fellowship. He creates because we all have him. We're all united because of him. And here's what this means. Do you want greater love and greater unity? Whether that's in your community group or in your marriage or in your family, do you want greater fellowship and greater connection? The Holy Spirit says, I do that. That's what I do. Jesus gives you grace, the Father gives you love, and I bring fellowship. He unites, he creates this deep unity and partnership and affection. You have a lot of conflict, you struggle to have affection and unity, in whatever context that comes to your mind, it's not just do better to work at love and do better to work at unity. It's ask the Holy Spirit. He's the one that brings that about. He unifies. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is God, and he does this work. And we'll end with one last piece here. How do we experience the work of the Holy Spirit? So often Christians can view faith as kind of a static thing, meaning, okay, all this is true. This is who the Holy Spirit is. This is what he does. This is who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is what he does. We can kind of just view it as it lives there. These are true things. I need to remember them. But it's more dynamic because it's a relationship. So the Bible does say that the Spirit of God lives in you. That's a fact that exists. But that doesn't mean that there's no interactivity that happens. Yes, the Holy Spirit lives in you if you are a Christian, but there is more and less experience of his work that you can have. There's more and less. Yes, he's in you, just like a guest could come and live in your house. They're there, but there's more or less experience of them and their presence that you could have. That's why the Bible will say things like, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve him. So there's an interactivity there. He's working, he's leading, but we can grieve him. We can make him sad by our rejection of him. We can stifle the spirit. Spirit's leading us and move, and we can say, stop, get away. Just like if you have a guest in your home, they say, oh, hey, I made you breakfast. I don't want your eggs. Get them away. Like, okay, we can start to stay in your room. We can start to push them away, make them sad stifle the spirit. We can lie to the spirit. I won't repeat all this. We already looked at this. We can lie to the spirit, test the spirit. So there's an interactivity that can take place where, yes, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, but that doesn't mean it's just a static thing. There is a 
dynamic experience in your life where you can experience more and less of the work and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And if you are grieving and stifling and lying and testing the Spirit, we shouldn't expect that we will experience as much as we could of His power and His communication and His comfort and His help and His sanctification and His unification. We shouldn't expect that if we're pushing Him away that we'll have the same of that. Which is, this is the negative side. The positive side is that we can also experience greater degrees of His work in our life. It says Peter, he's already a Christian, he's an apostle, but then in this particular moment, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, and then he gives this bold sermon. So there's a, a moment where he is now more greatly experiencing the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit to do this ministry. And it will even characterize certain people, brothers and sisters, select from anyone among you, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint to this duty. This is the creation of the first deacons. And there's something, it didn't just say pick Christians, or hey, we know all Christians have the Holy Spirit, but it said find men who are full of the Spirit. That means there's a particular quality that was even characteristic of their life. That it could be said, these people are Christians, but these people are full of the Spirit. That's not a first-class, second-class Christian, but it's people that are more opening their life and responding to him. And in Ephesians, it will tell us ongoingly, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. So you can, over and over and over again, be filled with the Spirit. It's not a once you are filled with the Spirit when you become a Christian, but you can continually be filled with the Spirit, such that it even characterizes your life. You can say, hi, my name's Jack. I'm filled with the Spirit. You know, that can be your reputation. And you can continually be filled by the Spirit. I love that Paul compares that to being drunk because that's a great analogy. He says, don't be drunk, but be filled by the Spirit. That's what happens when you're drunk. You're like, I don't know. Well, okay, sure. Uh, <clears throat> what happens when you're drunk? Well, your words change, right? Your actions change. Your thoughts change. Your decisions change. And you're saying, it wasn't, man, it wasn't me. I'm not the one that sent that text. I'm sorry. You know, it, was, it, was, it was the alcohol talking. It wasn't me. Liquid courage, right? You're saying, it's not me. Something inside of me is controlling me and changing me. So don't get drunk, first application, right? Second is, wouldn't it be better to be filled with God? That your choices and your decisions and your words and your actions and your emotions are not controlled by some substance, but are controlled by God himself. Hey, it wasn't me. That was God. It wasn't me. I don't like you, but it was God, and he, he made me be kind. It wasn't me. I'm under the influence, you know. Wouldn't that be better? I'm not naturally this, this joyful. I'm not naturally like this. But God is changing me. He's filling me. He's overpowering me. I have better than liquid courage. I've got God courage. I've got better than liquid joy. I've got God joy. Be full of the Spirit. God wants you to experience all His work. All His work that He does. His strengthening, His power, His sanctification, His communication, His unification. He wants you to experience all of that. But it isn't static. It's dynamic. We can interact with him. All of us want not just to read about God's character and his work, but to have his presence in our life, to relate to him. I want you to know this. There is a life of yours with power, with change, with listening to God, with deeper fellowship with others. There's a life of yours like that. And there's a life of yours that's just what you can make happen. And God wants to give you life led by, filled by, empowered by, strengthened by, changed by his spirit. He offers that to us. And when we come to take communion, which if you're not a Christian, we've got uh, communion cups. Excuse me, if you, if you are a Christian, we have communion cups in the back. If you're not a Christian, you can take communion for the first time by receiving Jesus as your Savior. But communion is a time that we remember Jesus' body was broken 
His blood was shed. He saved us. And part of the reason that we saw in Acts was that he may pour out the gift of the promised Holy Spirit on us. That he may usher in God's blessing and give us the down payment of the Spirit into our lives. That Jesus accomplished his work on the cross. That's what we remember when we take communion. My sins forgiven. His body broken, his blood shed in my place for my sins. Thank you, Jesus. We remember what Jesus accomplished and we remember what he purchased in giving us the Spirit through that work. You have, if you're a Christian, you have God's Spirit because of what we remember when we take communion. So let's pray. Confess where you may have grieved and stifled and ignored the Holy Spirit. Ask God to be more at work in your life, to fill you with His Spirit. Father, I thank you that you give us the Holy Spirit, that we don't have to live our life just based on the facts, but we can be led by and listen to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work and what you do. May none of us reject you or stifle you. Even now, in this moment, as you are working and speaking through your word today, may none of us reject you and harden our hearts, but fill us, forgive us, lead us. And even as we take communion and sing these songs, Holy Spirit, do your work of testifying. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.